Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Not A Paid Sponsor Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Hernandez, and today we're going to be talking to MMA. We have a lot of uh, events that happened over the past couple of weeks. We had UFC Fortaleza with Jose Aldo, uh, Marlon Moraes, then we had Invicta FC uh, 34. We'll talk about Pearl Gonzalez and her quest to get the vacant flyweight title. We also talk Bellator 215 and 216, and oh man, that one hurt. Uh, we also talk about uh, UFC Australia, and we recap UFC Fight Night, Cain Velasquez versus Francis Ngano. Sit back. All this and more on the Not A Paid Sponsor Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm hoping you guys had a lovely past couple of weeks. We are now catching up on a very rough yet exciting few weeks of mixed martial arts. Obviously, we had UFC Fortaleza. We had UFC 234. We had a little bit of drama in the Invicta FC 34 Bellator 215. Uh, we also had Bellator 216 MVP versus Paul Daly. And then we wrap it up with the UFC Fight Night Velasquez versus Ngano. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's been a rough slash, <clears throat> pardon me, it's been a rough slash exciting couple of weeks for the MMA community. Obviously, the stories continue. Today, we find out that George St. Pierre wants to retire from mixed martial arts. I think he's going to be making an announcement tomorrow um, uh, announcing his retirement. And to be honest, I think he deserves, eh, he deserves to walk away from the sport. I don't, I don't think there's anything else left for George St. Pierre to do. Um, he's done so much for the sport. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. And I hope he stays retired. I think he's going to do plenty of things for the sport. I think he can do plenty of things for the sport, aside from fighting in the octagon or circle, depending on what promotion, or ring, depending on what promotion you, uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're fighting in. So, yeah, kudos to him. Um... Pardon me, I was dealing with a bit of a stuffy nose here. Hopefully that does not ruin the podcast quality. Um, so we start off with the UFC Fortaleza, uh, UFC Brazil. We had Thiago, Thiago Alves uh, winning against uh, winning a decision. Congratulations to him against Max Griffin. Uh, we had Johnny Walker win his fight against uh, Justin Ledette. Uh That one was a little bit controversial. I know Johnny Walker was... Um, I mean, he almost freaking field gold kicked Justin Ledette's head off. Uh, he was saying afterwards, "Oh, you know that wasn't um, that wasn't what I meant to do. You know, the camera angle was a little off. I was trying to kick him in the body, uh, which I think would have still been illegal because I think he was on the floor. Um, he, you know, he's like, I was trying to kick him in the body, but alas, it looked like I was trying to kick him in the head. But uh, he won his fight, uh, and I think he said he wants to fight." Sooner than later. So I think they're booking him. Let me pull up my notes here. I think Johnny Walker is going to be fighting Misha Sirkunov at UFC 235, which is 235 is John Jones versus Anthony Smith, which is really awesome that Johnny Walker gets that level of, um, you know, he gets that test. I mean, it's a huge, huge test that he's going to have to face now. Uh, Obviously, he's going to be on a nice big old card, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing his fight. Um, after that, we had Damian Maya proving that he is still a headache for anybody not named Tyron Woodley or Colby Covington. Uh, he gets a submission versus leaving good, and I couldn't be happier for Damian Maya because obviously a lot of people were calling for him to retire after losing to Colby Covington. And obviously, he didn't really have his best showing against Tyron Woodley. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, he's Damian the gatekeeper, I guess, is the, the best thing I could say for him. So, you know, uh, I, I really don't know what's next for Damian. Who does he who does he fight next? I don't think he rematches Colby Covington. Uh, pardon me. Uh, I definitely don't see him fighting Tyron Woodley anytime. You know, if Damian Maya sticks around long enough... Uh, I don't know. I, I just kind of see Damian Maya just fighting his contract out and, and just going off into the sunset. And he deserves it because he's a, like I said, he's, he's been a credible threat for a very long time now and definitely a Hall of Fame career uh, when he decides to go. Uh, his jujitsu skills are almost, I mean, they're A1 
they're respected across all of the UFC. Uh, he's a master uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner. Um, and so, yeah, kudos to him. I'm glad that he won his fight. Uh, this was a good night for Brazil as Jose Aldo freaking gets this round one knockout against uh, Renato Moicano. Um, don't ask me why I said it like that. I uh, Just being a little over-exaggerating with the way I just uh, said Renato Moicano, but I like his name. I don't want to be like Matt Serra, Matt Serra in the UFC Unfiltered podcast where he uh, <laughs> he finds a name that he likes and he starts singing it over and over again. Uh, but yeah, Jose Aldo, it's pretty interesting because I think he was saying that he wanted to retire. I think he wants to fight out the rest of his contract. He wants to fight in Brazil again. And uh, it's definitely safe to say that retirement Jose Aldo is right up there with father Cowboy Cerrone and low altitude Cain, low altitude Cain Velasquez. Uh, it was a really good showing. And you could see that Jose Aldo was so excited. He was super excited when he got the, uh, when, when he stunned Moicano. Uh, hold on. I apologize. Is it Renato Moicano, right? Yes, Renato Moicano. I want to say it properly. But yeah, when when Renato got stunned by Jose Aldo, he was like like almost shaking. You could see his hands. Like he was looking for like the, the missiles were locked and loaded, man. And and kudos to Jose Aldo for um getting that knockout. And then we had the main event, Marlon Moraes. Uh, winning via submission in round one versus Rafael Asunsao. I think I'm gonna say it like that. I'm gonna say I'm just gonna call him Rafael. I don't. I feel that these Brazilians and Eastern European last names are very difficult to pronounce. So uh, yeah, shout out to Marla Marias who completely destroys Rafael and <laughs> his post fight press conference. Uh, not his post fight press conference. His post fight interview in the octagon. He was just like, you know, what, guys. I, uh, you know, I had a really bad stomach, a really bad stomach, a diarrhea. And, you know, I was afraid I was not have to pull out of this fight. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, it's not funny because he was hurt before the fight. But, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the fact that he was able to come in with that condition, he said it was something out there in Brazil that he came into contact with that, you know, that, that kind of made him feel ill. And he was worried that he had to pull out, but he didn't. And you know what? It paid off. So what's next for Marlon Moraes? Um, does he fight? Does he rematch Aljo Sterling? Because Aljo Sterling just won at UFC Fight Night. Uh, does he get that rematch? Because he also, I think they asked him, they're like, oh, what do you think about TJ Dillshaw? What, you know, what he did fighting Henry, so Henry Cejudo? Like, you know, do you want to fight TJ? And he's like, oh, I don't really think that... Uh, that TJ, you know, that he's, you know, he's ready for this, or I don't know if he, you know, something to the effect that he, that TJ, TJ don't want no smoke. And, um, I kind of agree, you know, in the same way that, in the same way that Chris Cyborg said to Amanda Nunes before the fight that, oh, when I be here, nobody going to look at her like she's the champion of her division. And then Amanda Nunes was like, bitch, where? You know, I kind of feel that way about TJ right now. Don't get me wrong. I still like TJ, and I think he's a smart, intelligent fighter. I think the science that he brings to the, the – I mean, his character is well-needed in the UFC to keep it interesting. Some people might find it corny. I, fuck, I fucks with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it keeps the keeps the conversation going. Um, Yeah, but I would love to see Marlon Moraes finally get the crack at the title against TJ Dillshaw. I hope they don't run it back again for this damn champ champ shit. I'm, I'm – getting really tired of having to um read about somebody wanting to be a champ champ in some division you know it's just too many you know like you got two whole divisions that are in flux now because of uh because of what's going on so uh but yeah that is the end of the ufc fortaleza i think what do we have next we have oh ufc 234 that was uh that was a dramatic one indeed. That brings us over to our next event, which was UFC 234. That was spilled to be Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker, and unfortunately, due to last minute circumstances, Robert Whitaker had to pull out. I believe he had a collapsed bowel and internal hernia. Kelvin Gastelum ended up. Um, I don't know. That was very weird. Calvin Gastelum ended up showing up for a media 
his media obligations or whatever. He was doing interviews and stuff. And he had, I think, Henry Cejudo's belt wrapped around his uh, shoulder. And he was, I don't know. He was sitting there saying, oh, you know, if, if Whitaker wants to come back, you know, he can come fight me for the belt. You know, I'm the champion now. You know, if you pull out like that, you know, if you pull out before the fight, you're, um, you know, you forfeit, yo. And I'm the champ. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, if I was Kelvin Gaslam, I mean, everybody, I wouldn't say everybody, Ariel Hawani thinks that he was doing the right thing by saying that he was the champ because, I don't know, just to kind of keep the ball rolling. And I don't, if I were Kelvin Gaslam, I wouldn't be talking so much because, man, your boy showed up to UFC 234 with this nasty, nasty staff on his upper, his under lip and on the back of his head. He had some nasty boil. He was saying that he had it all over his body. That's, that's gross. And I don't know how the Australian uh, Athletic Commission was even going to let him fight. That was freaking gross. Ugh, God. Looking at those people kept uploading it to my Twitter. They kept uploading it to my Twitter feed, and I was like begging people, like, can you please stop with the with the Kelvin Gastelum uh, staff infection? She was gross, yo. Um, nevertheless, uh, I think now Kelvin Gastelum is going to be fighting Israel Adesanya, um, who in the same event beat uh, Anderson Silva. Uh, it's going to be Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum, I think, at UFC 236 for the interim belt. Again, we have another interim belt being created, which freaking sucks because it's bleh. I don't know. It sucks. Uh, it's a good thing, though, for Anderson Silva uh, that he didn't get finished or stopped by Israel Adesanya. I kind of feel like they... I feel like it had the potential to be a more explosive fight. Um, I feel like they both gave each other a lot of respect, and the resulting outcome was what we got, you know? Uh, Israel Adesanya was able to pay respect to his one of his favorite fighters, and Anderson Silva doesn't get beat so bad in that we can maybe see Anderson Silva fight one or two more times. I know Anderson Silva said that he wants to fight Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz definitely does not seem like he's in the right state of mind to be fighting anybody. I hope he enjoys his retirement. I hope he's okay. He posted some re- really funky video on um on Instagram the other day of him blitzed out of his mind playing with a pair of nunchucks and you know you know i hope he's all right but i don't i don't foresee anderson silva fighting nick diaz uh, i don't really know who anderson silva fights before he retires but i think you know everybody kind of feels like he has one or two left in him so who are we to say uh but yeah i think that is pretty much i mean this was a short one i think the you know, the the fighters on this card, aside from potentially Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya and Anderson Silva, they were kind of like local talent. Uh, I didn't really follow them too much, so I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything about what the fights were like. So, uh, to be honest, I only tuned in for the main event. Uh, I was kind of bummed out. I was one of those people. I was one of those people, and I feel bad because I like to watch fights um, in their entirety. I don't like just to tune in for one or two fights. I like to sit there from beginning to end, but I was just so put off about this. I was so put off. I was really looking forward to these two guys fighting and it was, it was just too much to ask me to pay for a card literally with one fight that I was going to watch. I wasn't going to pay for it. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, uh, I think Kelvin, um, excuse me, Robert Whitaker is going to be out to the summer. And obviously the UFC does not want to wait that long. They really want to get this belt uh, in motion. They had big plans and I thought this, you know, everybody thought this was going to be the fight to watch. And, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Do you guys, I, I, I want to ask you guys, do you guys think that Israel Adesanya has what it takes to beat Kelvin Gastelum? Uh, you know, and for those of you guys, you know, did you guys agree with the way Kelvin Gastelum was handling the belt the situation afterwards, walking around with the, a fake belt parading around that he was the champion. Do you guys agree with that marketing strategy? Do you think it was smart for Kelvin? I mean, essentially it paid off. Essentially it paid off because he's getting his uh, interim fight. It may not be for the real belt, you know, but it's uh, it's an, uh, an eliminator match. So 
what is you know this is another short card that uh you know that we were recapping and i think that wrapped up uh you know that wrapped up those two events uh i think what do we have next on the list oh boy oh boy this is where all the con this is where all the, the crazy shit happened this was we're going to be going into the fights uh, that happened this past weekend. So uh, we're going to be starting, I think, with yeah, the Invicta 34 fight uh, main event, which was um, Pearl Gonzalez uh, <clears throat> against Porto for the vacant flyweight title. Yeah, so basically uh, things didn't go very well for Pearl Gonzalez in the Invicta FC main event. She was fighting Porto for the vacant flyweight title, and unfortunately, Pearl was defeated via technical decision due to an eye poke. And uh, if you saw the pictures, man, uh, that was really nasty. Uh, the way Porto's eyelash, the eyelid looked, it was pretty heavy gash right there on the eyelid and bloody and everything. But anyways, um, it's not the way that we wanted it to end, uh, which started off a slew of controversy. Uh, for all the mixed martial arts events that were taking place this weekend. Um, it doesn't really seem to be affecting Pearl too much. It looks like, you know, she's going to be fighting again soon. You know, it's, it's a shame. She was kind of losing the fight, though. She was getting beat uh, pretty handedly. Uh, Porter was doing more than enough to, to secure a victory, so it didn't really look like it was going to change the uh, decision. Um I do notice that I, I did notice that the referees uh, across all the MMA fights, uh, the subsequent fights in Bellator and the UFC, they were a little particular about the hands being open. I can't remember if it was the Bellator event or it was the UFC fight night uh, that somebody was kind of walking with their hands wide open and the, the referee kind of called them out. They were like, hey, watch those hands. And then, you know. But uh, yeah, shout out to Porto. She has the belt. Uh, I don't know if Pearl will fight again at flyweight. Uh, that was a, I'm not gonna say it was a tough weight cut. She looked like she was handling it, but that that just seems like so much work. I think she's not sure if she, she's not even flyweight. So, um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. You know, it just wasn't a good way to end the Invicta card. Um, what was next? Well, I'm not gonna say what was next. I know exactly what was next. Uh, for the guys that saw the Bellator 215 card. The main event was Matt Mitrione up against uh, Karatonov, and not even 15 seconds into the fight, Matt Mitrione channeling his inner football player, field goal kicks Karatonov square in the balls. I mean, immediately Karatonov drops to the floor. Um, Karatonov unable to compete. The fight was ruled a no contest. Matt Mitrione was apologizing to the crowd. Blah. Uh, I don't think that's the way the Bellator was imagining their uh, Bellator weekend. I don't think that's how they imagined it going. Uh, nevertheless, I don't know who does Matt Mitrione fight next. Does he run it back? Do they? You know, I know he apologized. He's like, "Hey, man, I'm sorry." He, can, can, can we get a mulligan? Can we just consider this a mulligan? Can we do it over? Uh, seems to be the trend lately of people losing fights or whatever's and. Asking for rematch, but whatever. I guess maybe that is the fight to make. Hopefully, uh, Karatonov decides to run it back. I know he went to the hospital to get himself checked out. They cleared him and they sent him home, but I think later that night he was complaining of uh, some stomach pain. So he went back to the hospital, and I think they diagnosed Karatonov. And I'm not saying this jokingly. I think they di they diagnosed him with a, a hemorrhoid. Um, hopefully, it does not need to be surgically repaired. Uh, hemorrhoids can be pa very painful. And uh, yeah, here's to a speedy recovery uh, for not only his balls, but his butthole. <laughs> um, after that, we go into Saturday, which was Bellator 216. Uh, that was the Michael Venom Page Paul Daly fight. Um, that was a pretty interesting card. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Um, the problem with Bellator, man, is that they have terrible pacing. The pacing in these events, it's just, you want to talk about UFC having the early prelims and the prelims and the fight night and then whatever, like the early prelims and the prelims and the actual pay-per-view card. I think the UFC's kind of fixed that 
going forward. Um, I mean, obviously, they're dealing with ESPN. ESPN knows a thing or two about how to pace, properly pace an event. And I think since UFC's moved over to ESPN, they've done a lot better with the uh, the flow of the events. They don't feel as grueling. Whereas Bellator is still having some trouble uh, with their pacing. So that being said, Bellator 216 wasn't a bad fight. Uh, the prelims were pretty good. Uh, granted, they did have a lot of 1-0 fighters. I think the only, I think there was only two fighters uh, in the prelims that had a total of 10 fights. I think everybody else had five or less fights on their records, but still a lot of them ended in finishes. Uh, I think minus two on the prelims. Uh, I don't want to go into it because, frankly, um, it would just be too much work. But yeah, the prelims are pretty dope. Um, then on to the main card. Uh, Valerie Laredo was making her Bellator debut against Colby Fletcher, and she did not disappoint. Uh, she ended up winning. Uh, it was a, a a punch that she landed. I think it was like a left, a left cross right across the face, and that kind of was sending Fletcher down. And then as Fletcher was stumbling backwards, uh, Valerie Laredo ends up landing a nice kick to the midsection, and Fletcher falls down. Valerie pounces right on top. The referee stops the fight. Um, what can I say? It was a good story. Uh, I know Valerie Lareda, her mother, uh, her mother was dealing with, uh, I believe cancer, bone marrow cancer. Um, you know, she is a Valerie, Valerie herself. She's a Taekwondo champion. What was a Taekwondo champion? Please forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, but her father also is a grandmaster as well. Uh, he was there. Um, and yeah, it's a good story for her. Uh, Bellator definitely needs somebody like her right now. Uh, she's a marketable person. Uh, she's marketable not only for herself, but she's going to be good for the company. I think if she continues to have this level of success, success, she's only like 21 or 20, like somewhere between 20 and 22 years old. She looks good. She's got a great storyline. She seems to be a family woman. Um, and with all the craziness and MMA, and I, I think definitely she's somebody to look out well. Too soon to say she had her Bellator debut, but, um, you know, I wish her nothing but the best. And all the females. I mean, everybody deserves to make their money and stuff. It's just a good storyline. That's all I'm trying to say. Please don't, uh, don't, uh, hang me for liking the fight. Uh, what else? We had Eric Silva also making his Bellator debut. Sadly, the story didn't go so good for him. Um, he ends up losing a decision against uh, his opponent, Yaroslav Amosov, via decision. Um, I don't, I'm not too sure about what Eric Silva's Bellator contract looks like, uh, but obviously this was not the way he pictured his Bellator debut going. Um, it was a kind of a back and forth fight. Uh, it wasn't that bad. To, it wasn't that bad. Long story short, it was just it went to a decision, uh, no finishes there. Then we had Czech Congo, uh, going up against the former Bellator heavyweight champion Vitali Minakov. And for those of you guys who don't know, Vitali Minakov was yeah, like I said, the former heavyweight champion. Uh, he was stripped for inactivity and he went to go fight. I think he had seven fights outside of Bellator or something like that, and then he came back to fight Czech Congo. Um, to be honest, this was a pretty controversial fight because I had. Vitaly Minikov winning, not necessarily due to the damage that he was inflicting because it really wasn't much, but he was definitely outworking Czech Congo in the first two rounds. And then out of nowhere, Czech Congo in the last seconds of the freaking fight puts on a clinic and just, if that fight would have went on any longer, Vitaly Minikov might have went down. And I think um, Czech Congo, he stole the fight. That last round, he stole the round, but he stole it in such a convincing fashion that the work that he it made up for his deficiencies in round one and round two, and he ended up stealing the the decision uh, against Vitali. Now, what happens to Vitali? Maybe the time off away from Bellator. Maybe that was too much. Does he take some time off and come back and, and fight again? Uh, we'll see. Ryan Bader didn't seem too impressed uh by Czech Congo's performance and Czech Congo, I think sent the message back to him. It's like, Hey, I will seriously F you up. So we'll see if Ryan Bader jumps back down to light heavyweight or he goes to heavyweight. 
and defends the heavyweight title against Czech Congo. Um, man, it just sucks. Czech Congo, it, it just wasn't a, it just wasn't a good fight for Czech Congo. And the fact that the decision itself was controversial, um, I don't know. It's not a good look. So we'll see. Uh, after that, we had Mirko Krokop going up against Roy Nelson. That was a pretty good fight. I mean, uh, two older gentlemen, uh, two older fighters. Um, obviously, Roy Nelson looking to bounce back from the Matt Mitrione fight. Uh, Mirko Krokop hasn't fought in a hot minute. Um, I have no problems with the decision. I think Mirko Krokop was doing just, I want to say he was doing just enough. He was He was doing good. Landed some really nice body shots, body kicks, was really hurting Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson was trying to um, kind of like keep Krokop up against the cage, but it um it didn't really work. It, Roy Nelson wasn't able to get his wrestling off the ground, and, and a lot of people, I think that was the, the, the report, the the cheat sheet to beating Krokop was somehow finding a way to get him to the ground, but it, it never really happened, and Krokop was able to kind of come away with that decision, and kudos to him. He deserved it. Uh, which then takes us to our main event. Uh, the Michael Venom Page versus Paul Daly. This was a highly talked about fight. All the MMA podcasts were all up on it. Everybody was predicting, you know, these guys genuinely didn't like each other. This is going to be a stand-up, uh, you know, it's like a stand-and-bang fight. Um, and to Bellator and everyone's surprise, Paul Daly, I'm, this was not a stand-and-bang fight. Uh, Paul Daly, out of nowhere, turned into uh, a wrestler, and he that's pretty much all he was doing. He was really just trying to, for lack of a better word, wrestle fuck uh, MVP into a victory, but MVP um, was just busy. Every time that Paul Daly had MVP on the ground, MVP was moving, trying to regain ground, was not trying to lose the position, was trying to stay you know, busy. Um, and, and actually he was actually somewhat affected from the ground because Paul Daly was never able to mount. I think it was only once in the fight that Paul Daly had MVP in trouble with some, some ground and pound. But other than that, MVP was able to stand up and, and, and basically outwork. It's even though it's hard for me to say this out work daily, you know, MVP did more and he looked better. Uh, Paul Daly, I'm not going to discredit him though. Paul Daly, for what it's worth, a lot of people kind of didn't talk about Paul Daly as a wrestler, but he showed that he's got some wrestling moves, albeit not a Daniel Cormier, albeit not a Khabib Nurmagomedov, but your boy, um, your boy's got some wrestling skills, and maybe if he gets better, he'll probably have some more success. If he can mix that in with his knockout power, you know, screw it. You know, he freaking, he deserves to find some success. It just kind of sucks that the fight didn't live up to that stand and bang uh, potential. But with that being said, MVP now moves through uh, Paul Daly and will end up fighting Douglas Lima at Bellator 221, which is going to take place in Chicago, I believe, uh, this summer. We're, what, we're at Bellator 216. So yeah, 221 should run us up to probably sometime in the early early to mid-summer. Um, and Douglas Lima is a significantly tougher challenge for MVP. So if anything, this fight leaves us with more questions um, about MVP. Uh, this was not the showcase match that MVP wanted. I think MVP himself was a little disappointed at how the match went. Um, I think he was more taken off guard about how he was fought by Paul Daly and I think Douglas Lima is probably feeling pretty good about what he thinks he can do to MVP. And if Douglas Lima takes out MVP, that's a really nice storyline for Lima um, going forward in the welterweight Grand Prix. So uh, shout out to MVP for moving up. But obviously, you know, like I said, we have plenty of more questions uh, than answers after that fight. Um, that brings us to... Our, uh, I don't want to have to talk about this. Oh, God. My heart. I'm already sad. Yeah, so basically that brings us to our main event of the evening, which was the UFC Fight Night 
Ngano versus Velasquez. Um, this card did deliver, I think, uh, for the most part. Um, the early prelims, we had uh, Andrea Lee. Uh, we had two fights that I liked off the uh, the prelims. We had Andrea Lee with a solid decision against uh, Ashley Evans-Smith. Uh, Ashley Evans-Smith was doing pretty good. Um, you know, she was putting Andrea in some tough spots early in the fight, but it seemed like Andrea Lee, as the fight went on, uh, began to overpower uh, Ashley. She was landing these, like, straight jabs, and Ashley just c couldn't get out of the way. And uh, it was a grueling pace for both women, and uh, shout-out to both of them for even fighting like that. Uh, but, yeah, Andrea Lee ends up winning, uh, winning, winning her fight. Um, then we had... Aljo Sterling, who beat, I guess they had a chance to finally squash the beef. Aljo Sterling winning the decision against Jamie Rivera. Um, what's next for Aljo? Um, does he fight Marlon Marias? Or th th does he have to wait until Marlon Marias finishes up his business with TJ Dillshaw? Or does Aljo get a crack at Marlon? And while TJ's off trying to be a double champ against uh, Henry Cejudo, um, but nevertheless, I'm I'm pretty happy for Aljo. He's a pretty, I don't know. I, I'm a huge fan of those guys out of the Sarah camp: Chris Weidman, uh, Gian Vellante, Ally Quinta, Aljo Sterling. Um, that's just me being biased to um my fellow New Yorkers. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. We also got a chance to see uh, Crone Gracie. Uh, he made his UFC debut against Alex Caceres. Uh, yeah, it looked a little bit scary at first when Kron got in there. He got hit a couple of times, but uh, nothing too serious because, you know, Kron does what he do. He's a submission specialist, and he was basically able to choke out Alex Caceres in, in the first round. Uh, Conor McGregor uh, doing his usual thing, kind of tweeting about the fight, welcoming, saying, oh, welcome, young wolf, or something like that. Uh, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm sure hoping that Conor is not interested in fighting Kron right now because... Uh, Connor's got his own problems to worry about, but yeah, man, kudos to Cron. Uh, Cron. Uh, funny thing about that fight was uh, Nick Diaz in uh, was seeing Nick, uh, Nate Diaz in the uh, in the corner of Cron Gracie, and then I think it was like some sort of a it was like an awkward backstage encounter between Nate Diaz and uh, and Dana White, where Nate Diaz was I guess heading out of the stadium, and he gave Dana White like a dab and. Dana White was in the middle of getting interviewed and they were like, oh, when, you know, when do you expect to, you know, do you expect to see him back in the ring? And Dana White looked right at her. It was like, no, <laughs> he like, he shut it down so quick, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool seeing Crone get his first victory. Nate Diaz also in attendance. And it seemed like Nate Diaz was a, a pro's pro, you know, he just kind of did his thing. Good corner man, got in and out before anybody swarmed him about, hey, Nate, when's your next fight? When's your next fight? You know, obviously we're not going to see Nick Diaz in the ring or in the octagon anytime soon because he's got, well, I mean, he said he's done fighting. And can you blame the guy? Uh, I mean, obviously he's probably going to hold out for some payday if we're ever going to see him again. But, you know, uh, he posted some weird video on Twitter or Instagram, high as a kite you know, swinging some nunchucks around, talking about something, 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 takedown. I don't even know. But, uh, yeah, you know, Nate looks like he's on the up and up, and Nick Diaz looks like he's out there living his best uh, his best life. So kudos to them. Uh, we also saw, who do we have? We had Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, she fought on that card. She fought against, uh, what was her name, Courtney Casey. Uh, that was a decision that went uh, Cynthia's way. Uh, you can kind of tell that after the this. I mean, they both went back and forth. There's nothing really to hang your head about. I mean, but obviously there had to be a winner. There had to be a loser. Although I wouldn't have been upset with the draw, but uh, Cynthia did enough to win, and I don't I don't hate that decision at all. Uh, Courtney Casey was clearly upset. She felt that she had done enough to win, and um, you know, we'll see what's next. So obviously Cynthia coming off that's a that suspension for weed, which was kind of stupid but whatever you know legalize it hashtag legalize it uh after that fight we had paul felder oh man that paul felder james vick fight that was a pretty that was a barn burner right there man those two guys they they definitely wanted a 
they they both wanted that win really bad. You know, they had I think they both had a couple of chips on their shoulder. A lot of people kind of write off Paul Felder as this you know, oh, he's a you know, he's a commentator. Does he take fighting seriously and James Vick obviously I think he had some drama not pertaining to him necessarily, but his uh his coaching staff. Um so uh, yeah, that was a barn burner. And in the vic- in Paul Felder's victory, he actually suffered a uh, a collapsed lung, which was pretty crazy because he had a backstage interview with the lung, uh, with the collapsed lung, and he was talking. And obviously, he's going to be out. He I don't think he's going to be able to even do his uh, media obligations or his commentary, his commentating, uh, while he recovers. I know he was posting pictures on Twitter and Instagram, like, "Hey, I just want to have a beer. Where can I get some good tacos?" But uh, when I think of Paul Felder. Uh, winning this fight against James Vick, I was thinking about a, a, it was like a paper, a study that Oxford did uh, about the the redhead gene, you know, the genetics of being a ginger, and they were saying something to the effect of, oh, um, in you know, the redhead gene will be extinct by uh, the year as early as the year 2060, and. <laughs> Seeing Paul Felder win his fight uh, just reminds me that those science can't prove anything because that that fool's savage, man, savage. And and you know what? Uh, give James Vick some credit too because he got rocked. He almost he almost got taken out of that fight. And Paul Felder, he smelled blood once 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 he stunned James Vick, but you know he wasn't able to you know he wasn't able to close out the fight. Uh, but he did win the victory. But James Vick put up a valiant effort, and um, I don't think this fight. Uh, shortens it may put James Vick a little further away from the title but we'll definitely see uh, James Vick in a high profile fight again I think very soon I think he gets one good victory under his belt he, you know he could he could easily get another high profile fight so um, yeah kudos to those guys and I'm talking so highly about Paul Felder and James Vick that um you know we have to get to that main event. That that main event. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Now, do I just give you the short story? Do I give you the short 26-second story of how this fight went? Or do we fuel the controversy by recapping a series of events leading up to the fight? That may help us explain what we saw in this main event that was Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. I think I'm I'm feeling a little feeling a little chatty, so we'll we'll start from the beginning. Pardon me, I'm dealing with a bit of a cold. Uh, my nose is stuffy. It's hard to talk and want to scratch my nose at the same time. Um, Cain Velasquez a couple of weeks ago put up some videos on his Instagram which was showing him training. You know, he was doing some some pad work. And I, for one, posted on Twitter. I asked my followers, hey, can anybody who trains uh, tell me what they see here? Because I'll be the first. Like, I'm a, I, I don't train. So I'm, I, I don't know the first thing about pad work. I don't know the first thing about strength and conditioning. I'm, I'm a skinny dude. I'm 6'4" barely 180 pounds you know i'm a very skinny dude um but i'm looking at this video and i'm giving it the old eye test and i'm like dang you know kane he looks weird he's hitting the pads like it feels like every time he throws a punch he's throwing his whole body into it like his whole you can see it almost like it almost looks like an action figure you know like those old wrestling action figures the hulk hogan and they were like kind of like flexing and stuff like that and you could only you couldn't move the joints you could only move them by you could only move the arms by the shoulders you know, and every time Cain Velasquez threw a punch, it's like his whole body it just looked really awkward, you know. So I asked the, anyways, I asked my followers to to see if they could tell me what they saw in that video. And a lot of people were DMing me. I'm not going to call anybody out, but people were just like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't train. Uh, why don't you come to my gym? Uh, and, and I'll give you something to be concerned about. And I'm like, listen, yo, I'm just a fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love Kane, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying like this well, just just because I I like a fighter, I'm not allowed to say that I kind of see something that that may be a little off. I'm asking you guys for your opinion. You know, 
I didn't engage it too much, but then as like time went on, I was um looking on Twitter and I noticed that there was a bunch of people uploading the same footage. They were like, "Oh, this is your Kane Velasquez," like in a joking manner, like in a condescending way, like, "This is your Kane Velasquez." You know, a lot of people were really concerned about this footage that they were seeing on Instagram. You know, lo and behold, that conversation kind of dies out. We get to the open workouts. Kane's doing some work uh, during, uh, you know, he's 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 training during his workout. Or he's staying fresh during his workout. And some people were saying that they noticed something that was a little off in in retrospect, in hindsight. people are, Some people were saying that they noticed that Kane was even off during the open workouts for the uh, UFC fight night. And again, he didn't really like the same kind of footage that we were seeing. You know, he was kind of doing the same, uh, the same maneuvers and the same pad work that we saw in those Instagram videos, you know. So in one aspect, you can kind of say, okay, this is kind of consistent with what we saw um, in his Instagram video. Now we're seeing it during the open workout. Maybe this is his, his, his thing. For those of the naysayers or people that had doubts such as myself, it's like, okay, this is like the same kind of worrisome uh, habits that we're seeing, you know, like worris- worrisome uh, visuals that we're getting from Cain Velasquez going into this fight. Uh, but lo and behold, you know, an Instagram video is nowhere, you know, it's it's not credible enough to judge a fighter's performance so with that i kind of understand why people some people were upset that people like myself were making some judgments against kane from the footage but lo and behold now we get to the main event uh now if something was wrong with kane before the fight it didn't seem so for the first 10 15 seconds and the, the, you know it's like i have to stretch out this 20 second the, this 26 second debacle because the first 10 seconds or so it looked like we were we had that high energy kane velasquez you know what i'm saying like it was you know just the same kane velasquez that we've come to know and love um and he he was throwing some kicks. I mean, they did seem a little awkward. Definitely showed some signs of ring rust. He tried he tried throwing a couple kicks, threw a couple of, like little, short flurries, and then we reached the end of the fight. Essentially, it looks like he goes in for some sort of takedown, and in that scramble, he kind of spreads his knees apart, sim like sim- somewhat like a like a baby deer slipping on ice. You know, he kind of like goes in for this awkward takedown and in going in for the takedown, it would appear, I mean, this happens so fast, that Ngano kind of snuck in this like right uppercut slash cross that seemed to like clip Cain Velasquez right on the side of the head. And, but see this, this is again, this, this happens so fast. You know, the only way to really put perspective into what happened is to watch this whole event play out in slow-mo, which I did hundreds of times. So the initial connect with the hook to Cain Velasquez's head, that millisecond, that not even that, that full second that Cain is absorbing that punch and his head jolts to the side, Cain looks like he's going, like he's, like he got his bell rung. So he's clearly stunned. In that, something happens where Kane begins to fall. And I guess his, from what he states, his knee gave out or he heard a pop. And the whatever pain he was feeling caused him to either A, wake up, or B, just straight wince and like kind of like really wince in pain. And as that happens... Unfortunately, you're fighting one Francis Ngano. You're, you know, if you look to your, if you look up from where Kane was falling, Francis Ngano's right on top of him, and Francis jumps right on him, hits him with another two piece, and the referee stops the fight. Uh, Kane gets back up. He's walking around. It doesn't really seem like he's stepping on his knee. Like you know, it doesn't really seem like he's walking gingerly. And then he basically. He says, he's just like, you know, I, I mean, he didn't really 
criticized the referee stopping the fight. He said he appreciated that, you know, the referee was just trying to keep him safe. Uh, he was obviously disappointed in his performance, but he said his knee gave out. He said he felt his knee give out. And, you know, one thing led to another, and Ngano, you know, Ngano comes away with the victory. And I don't think Francis Ngano should be upset. I don't think, I don't think we should discredit Ngano for doing what he did. He showed up. He fought. You know what I'm saying? He didn't get a free pass. You know Dana White hasn't been really happy with Ngano, so there's nothing really to, you know, there's there's nothing for Dana White to gain by Ngano winning because this further complicates the heavyweight division. You know, Cain Velasquez winning would have been the ideal situation in my mind because if he wins, then it gives DC a clear path to his retirement. Fight Brock Lesnar and leave. And now that Ngano's still in the picture, Cain Velasquez is out. Now everybody, all eyes are back on DC. Well, how does DC handle this? So, so you know, so people ask DC, like, you know, how do you feel about your teammate Cain Velasquez getting his, you know, block knocked off? And DC was just kind of saying, like, you know, like my emotions are telling me to to make it right, you know. But then, you know, this further complicates a very strange set of storylines that the UFC is having to deal with. Where does Stipe Miocic fit into this equation? A lot of people, including myself, kind of feel like Stipe deserves a rematch. Uh, granted, Stipe is not really helping his cause. I mean, he's lobbying. You know, this is a very controversial... This is a very controversial topic because to talk about Stipe wanting a rematch, I would have to also talk about Chris Cyborg wanting a rematch. I would also have to talk about TJ Dillshaw wanting a rematch. You know, talk about Conor McGregor wanting a rematch. You know? So, now Francis Ngannou's in the picture. Francis Ngannou just stopped arguably the one of the greatest of all time heavyweights. And Cain Velasquez. So, where do we go from here? Uh, now, and, and this is a narrative that people are using, and this is probably the only thing that's giving Stipe more credit than, than, than what he's gotten in the past couple of weeks is that you see what Francis Ngano did to Cain Velasquez, which begs to differ. You know, begs. You know, you ask the question: How good is Stipe Miocic that he was able to out? duel Ngano, you know, he was able to basically embarrass Ngano and, and expose the weakness of Francis Ngano because Derek Lewis didn't do it. That fight between Derek Lewis, that was, that was an injustice. Now you're obviously not going to run Francis Ngano versus Cain Velasquez. You ain't going to do that. So do you make Stipe fight Ngano again? You know, Stipe obviously doesn't want it. Stipe doesn't want Ngano. Stipe already fought a war against Ngano. You know, then but the problem is, is that the heavyweight division is it's not a it's not a deep division. You know what I'm saying? It's DC, Stipe, and then it's everyone else. You know what I'm saying? Curtis Blade got knocked out, and you know, from got this. You know, you can't run back the Curtis Blade fight. Ngano Ngano tore through him. You know, it's just, um, it's a very complicated situation now at the heavyweight division. And again, like I said, if you're going to talk about the situation at heavyweight regarding the title and about how DC wants to fight Brock and Stipe wants a rematch, you got to talk about TJ Dillshaw and what happened to him. You know, a lot of people feel that that fight was stopped early. TJ Dillshaw feels that that fight was stopped early. Uh, granted, a lot of people kind of feel like if that, fight was allowed to go on, TJ was just going to get his ass beat, and uh, maybe rightfully so, he was going to get beat, but, you know, a lot of people felt like the referee should just let it happen, you know, for the sake of it being, you know, it was like a, you know, and then, uh, obviously, TJ wants to run it back to, run it back with freaking, he wants to do over with Henry Cejudo, then you have Chris Cyborg, who arguably is the greatest female 145er on the planet until she met one Amanda Nunes. And Chris Cyborg has a lot of flack 
where she was giving a lot of flack to Amanda Nunes for not wanting to fight at 145. I mean, uh, there's really no reason for Amanda to fight at 145. Who is she going to fight? She's going to fight Megan Anderson, who lost to Holly Holm, who's a 135er? You know what I'm saying? This, I'm not... I'm not trying to disrespect any of the fighters. I'm just like I'm just putting this into their this is a perspective that I'm seeing it in. You know what I'm saying? Like these these divisions are shallow. You know? Uh, Amanda Nunes, if anything, put on if it's two fighters that put on a convincing victory against their opponent is Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic and I know my Twitter followers that are going to listen to this podcast are going to spam my timeline with the video of Daniel Cormier and the eye pokes. But I guarantee that these are the same people that overlook John Jones and his eye pokes or John Jones with the oblique kicks. Rampage Jackson called out John Jones and flat out said, yo, that man, like, I don't like John Jones because... I mean, the man, like, legit, he hurt me, like, for permanently. Like, my knees are permanently fucked up from the John Jones fight, you know, for what he, how he was kicking, the way he was intentionally trying to kick my kneecap, trying to blow out my knee. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of crooked shit. John Jones was the number one eye poker back in the day. People didn't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? DC did it to Stipe, and he did it quite a few moments right before he landed that knockout. And it is what it is, but it was a convincing I pokes aside, DC won that fight fair and square. You know, so this whole thing about trying to delegitimize DC as being a heavyweight champ, you know, that's that's unfounded. That's unfounded. Um, but then, you know, uh, if somebody, I mean, so if, if anything, Amanda Nunes, when she stopped Chris Cyborg, she did it probably the most convincing. She did it in the most convincing fashion uh, out of any of the other fights that I mentioned. I mean, she legit pieced up cyborg she beat cyborg down you know what i'm saying and even cyborg wants a rematch after that kind of loss you know this is a very tough situation you know now the issue here uh allow me to entertain this idea uh or uh, entertain you guys with this thought Stipe's not getting a rematch with Daniel Cormier because of how Stipe reacted to, uh, about his UFC contract. You guys ever think about that? Uh, Stipe Miocic was very vocal prior to winning the, you know, when he had his heavyweight belt. He was pretty vocal about how he didn't really appreciate his pay. And rightfully so, Stipe Miocic is the heavyweight champion. He holds the record for the most heavyweight title defenses. Uh, arguably puts himself in the conversation of the greatest of all time. Uh, just on the sheer body of work, and I respect that. But if it's one thing that we learned from the Tyron Woodleys of the sport, is that you don't want to go toe-to-toe with Dana White. And the UFC brass. Once you start complaining about getting paid, your your pay, your fighter pay, all this stuff. I mean, I know some fighters do it kind of like in a joking manner. You know, like Ally Quinta. Ally Quinta. Um, he kind of joked about it back in the day. Uh, you know, he had his beef with Dana White, and and to some extent, you know, he got shelved for a little bit too after that whole thing. That was that was pretty contentious. And then Al came back and he kind of changed his tune. He kind of jokes around about how the UFC is treating him, but. He's gotten some pretty good money, especially he got that freaking fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he wasn't even, I think he was at the bottom of the pot when it came to, in, in terms of people that were qualified to fight Khabib, you know what I'm saying? But even he, you know, he's a company man, I mean, he gets down, he fought Kevin Lee, he fought, he had a convincing fight against Kevin Lee. Tyron Woodley, for all the shit that he's talked, uh, for all the shit that he's talked to Dana White, uh, about the UFC and how he felt he was being treated, he kind of toned down that rhetoric, yo. You kind of heard, like, even in the press conference, even in, in before the press conference that they had for UFC 235, um, Tyron kind of changed his tune, you know what I'm saying? He's like, listen, you know, they're like, oh, what do you think, you know, didn't you want to fight Kobe Covington? Didn't you say you want to beat him? Didn't you want to say you want to beat him to within an inch of his life or whatever? And Tyron's like, listen, man, I ain't got time for that shit, man. I got, I, like, 
Usman is my guy right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it is, you know? Without directly saying he's a company man, he basically flat out said, he was like, yo, you know, that's that's who's got my attention right now. Kamar Usman, I'm focused on beating him right now. And then I could worry about Kobe after that, you know? But Stipe was pretty adamant. And you know what happens? I, I, you, I think Tyron Woodley saw the writing on the wall. He sees what happened to Stipe Miocic and how Stipe lost the, his belt. And he sees how the UFC has not made him a new uh, a rematch or whatever with Daniel Cormier. And Tyron's probably thinking, damn. If that could happen to arguably one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, you know they're going to do me like that. They're going to do me dirty, you know? So Tyron Woodley kind of toned it down a little bit and just kind of like, listen, Tyron Woodley's already great in his own respect. All he's got to do is just keep fighting his way to the end. Try, you know, he's obviously going to continue to try to call his shots and try to remind people why he's the greatest, you know, one of the greatest of all time, you know? But he's, you know, right now, Tyron Woodley's kind of keeping his head down because he knows. If, uh, you know, if, if they could do that to Stipe, they're definitely going to do it to Tyron Woodley. And the same goes for Cyborg. Cyborg has been very, very combative with the UFC and very combative about the UFC's inability to fill the women's 145 division. And she's constantly been just at odds with the entire world about how and I like Cyborg. I really do. I mean, she's liked a couple of my tweets. She's even liked some of my Instagram posts. Shout out to Cyborg. But this is just one one thing that, you know, like she's constantly um been at odds with the UFC about the UFC's inability to fill out that division. They essentially made that division for her. It was like a publicity stunt. And they thought that by bringing Cyborg in, they were going to bring in other 145ers were going to follow suit. And literally the only other 145er that came to the UFC was freaking Megan Anderson. And then she Cyborg and Anderson were supposed to fight. And then for one reason or another, Megan Anderson couldn't fight. And then we had to see Cyborg versus Holly Holm. Cyborg versus Yana Kunitskaya. Cyborg versus Tanya Evanger. All these freaking 135ers. That's literally all they kept doing. They just kept feeding Cyborg 135ers. Until one Amanda Nunes came and fucked that whole shit up. You know, it's just something to think about. And this is, you know, and th- this is what I'm saying, that the UFC has a difficult situation right now. And then you look at, uh, do I really even have to talk about Conor McGregor? Do I have to talk about Conor McGregor? He literally got beat from pillar to post by Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know what I'm saying? Uh <laughs> I mean, at least Connor's looking for other fights. You know what I'm saying? I'll give him that much. I'm not really a Connor fan anymore, but at least he's trying to look for other fights because he knows, man, this, this is a wacky ass game. Connor, I think, just trying to get back in there and just fight. And I give him credit, man. We just put that fool back in the octagon with whoever the fuck is, because whoever he's going to fight is going to be a money fight. You know, you, you're going to be able to sell the fight. As soon as Connor gets on the mic, he's going to sell it. That's one thing you got to give him credit for. Then again, it's been the Connor show for God knows how long now. So we'll see how long that freaking story plays out. Um, but yeah, uh, the reason why I was talking about that is a couple of my Twitter followers were mentioning about these 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 people begging for rematches and mulligans. Like, oh, let's let's run it back, yo. Best two out of three. Rock, paper, scissors, best two out of three. You know what I'm saying? That's just not how it works. And if that's how fighters... If if that's how UFC fighters are going to be from now on, I would definitely think that they should consider putting rematch clauses in their contracts the same way that boxers do. The same way Triple G and Canelo Alvarez did. They run it back. They weren't happy with the first fight. They ran it back. Granted, I kind of wasn't happy with the second fight either, but hey, it's not my problem. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, they're going to run it back, I'm hoping. Because I know that uh, Deontay Wilder signed with DAZN and Tyson Fury signed with ESPN. 
I think that's you know it's got a little that's got a little pizzazz on it, right? I think Manny Pacquiao and Mayweather, right? That was HBO versus Showtime. HBO lost, right? I I could be wrong with that, but anyways, ESPN and the Zone definitely have something going. Imagine that ESPN Plus and 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 the Zone working together to bring a, a freaking rematch fight between arguably the best boxing heavyweight boxing fight of last you know last year. I'm down. Um, I don't know. How do I close the podcast out with that? Right? What? 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 What do I say? You know, the UFC's really got an issue with this this matchmaking situation, and uh, I I really hope that they they get the shit sorted because it's it's creating a logjam. You're looking at the Tony Ferguson's. You're looking at the Dustin Poirier's. You're looking at the Ally Quinta, who's who's on a freaking, you know, who's on a, a pretty impressive victory over Kevin Lee. You know, what I'm saying and. Uh, you know, you're looking at people like Colby Covington getting passed up, even though, you know, Colby was rightfully the one to, to fight Tyron Woodley. You know, you're, you're looking at the flyweight division getting hung up. It's too many log jams, man. It's too many log jams. It's, it's, it's very weird. But, hey, you know, that's the, that, that is the past couple of MME, uh, MME, MMA weeks that were. Um, I don't know. I was going to close out this podcast, but by talking about some of the odds for UFC 235, um, thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, John Jones is an 89% favorite to win over Anthony Smith. Um, Kamara Usman, 59% over Woodley. I think people are just dying for Woodley to lose. Like I, like I told you guys earlier, yo, you see even the odds, the odds are showing that nobody, like that, that I'm going to say nobody because it's only 59 split percent split. But people are kind of favoring everybody to beat Woodley, you know. And Woodley knows, man. Once he loses that belt, bro, his time's up. His time's up. Um, you know, Zabit, uh, Magomed Shapirov. Uh, he's an eighty-five percent favorite over Jeremy Stevens. Um, that's fucked up that they're riding off my boy Jeremy Stevens, but it is what it is. You know, Zabit's on a hot streak. And remember, uh, Zabit was supposed to fight Yair Rodriguez, and for one reason or another, they can never. That fight is just as cursed as Tony Ferguson and Khabib. Um, and then you have Mickey Gall, which is a 57% favorite over Diego Sanchez. That's grimy. How you going? You going to put Mickey Gall over Diego Sanchez? I'm hoping Diego Sanchez. I mean, I kind of like them both, to be honest. Don't uh, Don't kill me. But uh, I do like them both. That's going to be an interesting fight to see Mickey Gall and Diego Sanchez because you know Diego Sanchez don't give up. Diego Sanchez is the close thing, the closest thing we got to uh, Nick Diaz since Nick Diaz has been gone. I mean, he go out there, he's gonna. That's a guy that goes out on his shield, man. I still remember that fight between Diego Sanchez and freaking um. Holy shit! Why can't I remember his name? I'm going to call him Will Farrell. Holy shit, I can't believe I forgot his name. Pause. <laughs> Clay Guida. There you go. My bad. Forgive me, MMA world. Had a brain fart. I was just so wrapped up in this depression that is the UFC matchmaking right now. Um, one thing I will tell you guys, I think if you guys have some free time, I don't have time to do it now because it's running a little late and I want to end the podcast. You guys should definitely look up UFC agents, take a look at their client list and tell me if some of the fighters that these management companies manage is in a conflict of interest as fuck. You can't mean to tell me Tony Ferguson's management company is the same. The Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor, I'll leave, I'll leave you guys with this little nugget. You want to talk about the problem with UFC matchmaking? Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor are being managed by the same company. And that's going to be the little nugget that I uh, that I leave you guys with this evening. So I'm really happy that you guys came out, listened to the podcast. You guys can listen to it wherever you guys consume your podcast content. Spotify, Google, Apple. Um, if you guys do listen on the Anchor app, you guys can shoot me over some MMA questions. We can shoot the breeze. You know, saying I really enjoy doing this. I apologize that this 
podcast was a little somber. Um, you know, I didn't have my boy Jesus with me. Uh, we were supposed to do the podcast together, but the timing's not working out right. So probably we're going to get together and do a little, maybe do a fight companion podcast uh, for UFC 235 if he's down. You know, I enjoy having company. Uh, and for those of you guys who want to take part in the podcast, if you guys want to submit me questions, if you guys even want to come on the podcast, shoot the breeze, man. This podcast is for you guys. I do this as a passion project. This is just a hobby. Me sitting on the mic for a couple hours here and there, shooting the breeze. Uh, why don't you hit me up? You guys want to come on? You guys have intelligent thoughts? You guys want to even talk about how casual of a fan you are, you know? Do you guys train? Hit me up. Until then, hope you guys have a lovely evening. I want to thank you guys for sticking around for the podcast. I appreciate you guys showing your support. You guys can consume this podcast wherever you guys love to listen to your podcast. Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, everywhere you guys consume your podcast. So please like, follow, subscribe, leave a review. And I hope you guys tune in for the next episode. Have a good night.